And it's Mother Nature who takes her first win of the season. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark left into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of F1 in Review 2023. I'm Tom Claibon. I'm back and as ever I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher. Today we briefly look back at a rather short Imola Grand Prix and look forward hopefully to the Monaco Grand Prix which weather permitting will be happening. So no spoilers here, there was no Grand Prix this weekend despite it being scheduled. The Imola Grand Prix was cancelled owing to heavy rain and flooding in northern Italy and looking at the pictures from the circuit it's fair to say that F1 decision makers didn't really have too much choice did they well there wasn't really much of a circuit to race around and if you tuned into last week at right to the end uh rather forebodingly i think i muttered the words if we get any racing at all ha 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 it's gonna be a washout oh, oh how funny that would be and uh turns out i was actually right that was the only prediction of the upcoming weekend that turned out to be correct and it was one I made in jest well oh dear they made the right call absolutely they made the right call we recorded the podcast before it was officially cancelled and I don't think um once I'd seen the just the level of the water and how high up um in parts of the paddock it actually was that there was going to be any other option it's it's a bit sad actually because whilst formula one wasn't necessarily all that affected um, the Formula 2 areas um, where they were setting up, there was significant flooding. I know Alpine, for example, had a bit of flooding, but this is a bit worse than that. Um, and obviously the, the lower divisions, they have not as much money. So it will be interesting to see how they are, they are able to manage the damages that come out of this one. I thought it was quite nice that both Ferrari and F1 had donated to the local area. Um, they both donated a million uh, I want to say I, I almost said pounds then, but it'll be euro um, or dollars to the to the cleanup efforts, which I think is excellent. And it was, you know, what it was nice reading the news and seeing Formula One do the right thing. Like usually yep, yep. they don't. So I was like, wait, <laughs> they're doing the right thing for once. Yay! To missile strikes, not enough to cancel a race. Biblical levels of flooding turns out is enough so there we go we're starting to get the picture of what what counts as uh enough to cancel a race and i um did get a little bit of racing um in to watch it over the weekend because in its place they broadcast the monaco grand prix at one of the sort of classic monaco grand prix which I hadn't seen for ages the 2008 Monaco Grand Prix. So um, mm-hmm. my partner and I, we sat down and we watched that. She'd never seen it before. And um, I'd forgotten about 
how bizarre 2008 seems to look nowadays and just the level of safety changes was absolutely ridiculous there's at one point there was just marshals on the track with a live track i mean the safety car was out but i mean you just wouldn't get that at the moment like the safe the marshals on the track and the cars were flying past they were just craning these cars up to what seemed like you know 10 or 15 meters above the track with bits falling off them i know it was only well, 15 years ago but God, it felt like an absolute lifetime ago. So I, I feel like they cancelled the race, but a lot of good things ended up coming out of it, which is the best we can hope for. I just hope that everyone in the region is is okay and they are managing to clear up as best they can. And as I say, any damages that were caused um, can be rectified as soon as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the main thing and one of the perhaps the more sensible parts of the decision was the fact that at the end of the day, emergency services are needed for a sporting event because in the event, especially the Formula 1 race, in the event that a uh, a tragic accident happens, the emergency services need to be there as a first port of call. But at the end of the day, this is a situation in a region in northern Italy where the emergency services were needed for much more important matters, which was to make sure that the people, the locals in the region, were as safe as possible. So... Yeah, credit to F1 for the decision they made. I think it was it, it, like like we said, it was cl- it was clear that the the track ended up just being flooded. And when paddock members arrived on the Tuesday before the the weekend, so this time last week, they uh, they had to be evacuated from the paddock due to the extent of the water in the paddock. And then it also became clear that uh, the river, which was flooding the most was running parallel to the uh the back straight on the track so clearly not a good uh, not a uh, a good combination a re- potential recipe for disaster so i think excellent decision to cancel the race i think that it, i read an article which compared um the the w- the way in which f1 handled itself was a marked improvement from if you two cast your minds back to Remember the start of the 2020 season when lockdown was being enforced around the world and there was COVID cases in Australia. McLaren pulled out because they lost team members and Formula One Liberty Media went, that's fine, we'll we'll keep racing. You know, we're on the other side of the world amidst a a swirling global pandemic, but no, we'll we'll keep going. It's fine. And then they cancelled the race on the morning of Friday practice. So clearly a massive uh, contrast this time in the F1 handled itself much better, made swift decision, uh, which paid off in terms of preserving the safety of uh, F1 officials, but also their gesture to donate the uh, sum of money to the local area and to the local government, meaning that a swift response can be properly had. And obviously our thoughts and prayers with the members of the community in Northern Italy. We hope that the, uh, the rescue operation uh, goes as smoothly as possible. Hopefully F1 will have given that little bit of assistance F1's given can hopefully make a difference. That's all all we hope for, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. I can't really add too much more to what you two have added so far. I think it was the only decision and F1 is doing great things with what it's done in donations and making those swift decisions, really. I was quite surprised that it was cancelled, only only owing to the fact that I hadn't really been keeping abreast with uh, the climate, dare I say, and the environment there with what was going on in northern Italy, but it was done so swiftly. And um, it's just a shame, really, from a purely F1 point of view, that there were no other alternatives. Some say Magello was nearby, Monza was nearby, 
by maybe going over to a different country in Europe unaffected by the natural disaster could have been an option per se but not at that time and it's only fair that that decision was made with you know the, the shortage of time as is but listeners to this podcast will remember I spoke about the need for a reserve circuit well I think now with climate change being such a live issue with natural and man-made disasters being ever more pertinent as they are in this current climate, dare I say, without being too alarmist and pessimistic, there's probably a need for a reserve calendar, a mixture of tracks already in use and those that meet the necessary criteria to hold an F1 uh, Grand Prix weekend to be there just in case this happens again, really, because dare I say there's going to be more occasions where, let's say, the Netherlands is hit by flooding and can't host their Grand Prix or Germany has an issue or god forbid something happens at silverstone you know all these things could very well happen and for that reason there needs to be logistics there needs to be planning mitigation so for that reason i think that a reserve calendar public or not is something that should be considered do you guys agree at all with that i think i agreed last time so i'm not changing my opinion on this one and actually what's weird was i guess Magello was only uh, a couple of hours away i think in this case, there's always that debate on whether or not it's it's appropriate to, to hold a, a, a race um, when there is significant issues in the in the country. So whether or not actually could have gone off to a different part of Italy, given that a lot of Italy is <laughs> struggling with heavy rain and, and um, natural disaster. The the issue, I think, is all about logistics. And once you've got the, everything there set up in this case are you going to be able to get another race within that time probably not also you've got to remember that there's a lot of preparation that goes in for the weekend um, behind the scenes talking about the drivers you've got to make sure your drivers know how to race the circuit you don't just turn up and put your foot down there's a lot of visualization there's a lot of simulation work Pirelli have got to know whether or not the tires that they're bringing along for the weekend are going to be adequate for the track they've got to make sure that there is enough extra help in terms of marshals brought in safety equipment brought over I could imagine a scenario where let's say a week before the re- the the race like um calendar kicks off so before the first race of the year let's say a a track three or four deep into the season pulls out then you could probably think about getting another reserve circuit in there with eight twelve sixteen weeks worth of planning but when i tell you that a lot of this planning goes along over the christmas and and um winter period and we just see the fruit that come to fruition in the summer months and i'm not i'm not really kidding they we can't just turn up at a track and go racing like in the good old days. As much as I am still begging to see the uh, inaugural Snetterton Modern <laughs> F1 Grand Prix, unfortunately, <laughs> it's I just don't see it happening. But that being said, I never underestimate the power of people to get things done when A, there's a huge amount of money involved and b people are very excited to hack things for things to happen we raced during the pandemic the 2020 was one of the most ridiculous and i think best seasons i've ever seen and a lot of it was unexpected and at, in very tight circumstances so it's definitely possible but not with a week before the race is supposed to go ahead. So unfortunately, with there being, let's say, some fairly dull Grand Prix weekends so far and huge gaps between them, is it fair to say this is one of, if not the worst starts to an F1 season? Uh, 
I'm about to. I feel like I'm about to in- introduce um, recency bias into the conversation. The idea that, if you're unaware, the idea that something which has happened more recently is more present in your minds. Therefore, it's more likely to be the best or the worst of something. Uh, forgetting the past. The opposite of looking through rose-tinted glasses, where somebody would go, "Oh, F1 was way better in the old days. Oh, it never had these silly things like DRS." Um, <laughs> so. But yeah, recency recency bias in terms of is this the worst start? And the idea of is it the worst start simply because we are living through it? Um, I will I will admit it's not been a storming start. It's been a Red Bull dominated start. It's been uh, we've had long breaks between races. We're in a obviously with the situations outside of F1's control. So the floods in uh, the Emilia Romagna region, and then the COVID zero policy of the Chinese government have meant that by the time Monaco comes around, we'll have had, what, two races in the past seven to eight weeks, which is not really what people want when we usually have a gluttony of F1 uh, during the last few years. Is it the worst starts for season? It's not. It's, it's up there, I'd say. Not because of I'm sort of forgetting recent memories in my mind, but even seasons where it was where it has been a bit more dull at the start, shall we say, or teams have dominated. It's at least been exciting. We think back to 2020, the pandemic season, where Mercedes were regularly racking up one-twos in those first few races, but races that started that season, the first race in Austria, I remember when it happened in mid-July, maybe we'd been, because we'd been building the hype for about, what, four or five months during COVID, that was a belting race. Yeah, the Italian Grand Prix that year, the one that Pierre Gasly famously won. Great, great uh, starts to the season. Even something like the year before, 2019, where again Mercedes were chalking up one twos like you wouldn't believe. You had a quick Ferrari, you had quick Ferrari car. Uh, you had exciting races going on. So I'd say 2023 because one, not many races stand out so far this year. I mean, you had Verstappen making Saudi Arabia quite interesting because he flew through the field, but Bahrain was a little bit, little bit uh, on the well, yeah, let's call it boring. A little bit on the boring side. Saudi Arabia was all right. Australia, a lot happened at the end. Sure, it's quite dramatic. Azerbaijan had one of its dull years compared to one of its uh, spectacular years that it can also have. And Miami's Miami. Enough said about that. that, about that. So is it bo- has it been the worst start? It's not been great. It's not been great. But I think that's just... Like you said, that I think the fact that we've had those large gaps has contributed because it feels like we're having lulls. Like this definitely feels like a lull now. We, it will have been three weeks since the race by the time we get to Monaco. And it makes you think, is there much going on? Really, and we've also we've not had too much in the way of drama in the driver market, which often I remember years where it's been quite boring in the races, and then the driver market explodes. And I'm sure this is something we can get onto later, based on the news that appeared this week. But at the same time, it just feels like there hasn't been much in that regard either yet. So I wouldn't say I, I'm hesitant to say it's the most the worst start ever because I'm conscious of recency bias. And looking through glasses, rose-tinted glasses saying, well, back in my day when there wasn't all these street circuits, we had 
brilliant starts and DRS wasn't a thing and it was uh, that was the past and that's better because it's the past I don't want to be like that but it's been pretty average so far this season which is why you should listen to our podcast so we can talk all about it all this all this rubbish racing I've been <laughs> slagging mm-hmm. off um, I believe we add the zest to what has been a pull oh yes fingers absolutely. crossed absolutely yeah. yeah. absolutely what do you guys think do you think it's been as bad as maybe the perception is it's been pretty woeful hasn't it really I think there's no getting away from that in terms of the positives of the season it's been Sergio Perez fighting against the machine raging against it against Max Verstappen and Fernando Alonso pulling that Aston Martin up and giving them a bit of a fight while his teammate doesn't do that too much and Ferrari and Mercedes continue to disappoint really so not too many surprises but it's fair to say a fairly dull start uh, and the, the concern is as well with the gaps between uh, these races as well that people will just switch off the less uh, addicted fan if you will the more casual viewer will forget that Formula 1 is going on because that's a danger at the moment with Red Bull and Verstappen being um, semi if not completely unstoppable but it's a challenge to this being the most boring season I remember, and I've got the stats to back this up, 2016 being a real stinker of a start. So we've had five races so far in 2023. Uh, If we were to go and compare that to 2016, the winners go Rosberg, 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 Verstappen. But the reason that Rosberg, or indeed Hamilton, didn't win that race is, uh, if you remember, they both spectacularly crashed out in lap one. So Yes, they did. Correct, in Spain. In Spain, Spain, correct. So maybe there's a glimmer of hope. Was that Max Verstappen's first win? Uh, One of the first, if not the first. I believe, yes. Uh Yeah. So there we go. There we go. So um, there is some hope that things are at least a little better here with two people winning more than one race so far but um it is all on monaco i think for the casual viewer which is terrifying to say really knowing how monaco has been in the last sort of 10 years or so but monaco has to be <laughs> we're doomed <laughs> but monaco Jeez. has to be 20 uh, sorry 2008 plus for the casual viewer in my mind to to carry on watching but is that harsh yeah i think so i think i think that does a disservice to the 2016 um opening season because what I would say is whilst on paper it's boring and you are correct with those statistics, we knew that what was going on at Mercedes was a fundamental breakdown in driver relations that pumped out some of the juiciest gossip I have been uh, able to witness for a very long time. That actually coincided with, I would say, sort of like my sort of uh, very beginning of deep understanding of F1. Um, yeah, about 2016. And being able to like listen in and pay attention to the the conference uh, press conferences and briefings with Hamilton and Rosberg, like oh yeah, okay, Rosberg kept winning, but Mercedes was infighting and there was a lot of drama about whether or not he'd be able to beat Hamilton, and it was kind of exciting in that regard. And I think that carried all the way through to the season, eventually to the uh, the classic ending um, in Abu Dhabi, in which basically Hamilton backed Rosberg up into Vettel and. Um, that was very exciting itself. So I would say that what we're missing in this season is just some life to it. We keep sort of starting and stopping, which is very frustrating because I feel like I can't really get my yeah. teeth into it. We've got, well, we had a, a, a what's best part of four week break in Australia to, as, um, to Azerbaijan, 
which was just frustrating. And as you say, Angus, you're absolutely correct. It's because of the um, the zero COVID policy in China, and you know, as you as we're now experiencing uh, a three week break between the Miami Grand Prix, which you said was dull, and it is absolutely a, a dull race. To well, unfortunately, no, no, Italy, um, and then we're going to go to Monaco. And look, Monaco is a is a track that I like to watch, sort of pet, heart, paying half attention to now, because it, there's very little point watching it at all. Some might argue, and I know Angus, you're a diehard fan, but 2021 has the dubious accolade of being of of holding one of the records for the lowest number of overtakes. Uh, the 2021 Monaco Grand Prix had zero overtakes, not one. A single overtake. The other track and race which had zero overtakes was the 2021 Spa <laughs> Grand Prix, or lack thereof of real racing. So I don't know. I feel like what we've got here is is nothing to really get our teeth into. Azerbaijan promised a lot, gave us very little. Um, I mean, I oh, oh, clearly the outlier of this is Australia. I'm just gonna I'm gonna say to all you Australian fans, which I know there are some out there that you've delivered us what I could say is a saving grace of this opening season so far in that incredible Australian Grand Prix. <laughs> However, that's been yeah. it. That's all we've had so far. That's the only action, the only excitement. And so we got boring as a Jean Grand Prix, a Miami Grand Prix that was all about the pre-show than the actual racing. And we've had, unfortunately, a cataclysmic amount of rain that's caused the... Um, Emilia Romagna Grand Prix to be cancelled um, in Imola and now we're going to what I could only describe as a race that's in the sport for no other reason than to raise as much money as possible but then saying that that's why Las Vegas and Miami are here so again Monaco's kind of lost its its um, USP don't you think so yes by the way I do think this is the worst start to a season ever well that is tough that is tough but yes it's difficult to disagree isn't it really and if I'm honest, the race at Monaco is on the Saturday, as far as I'm concerned now. I will yeah. watch Saturday, I will see the top three, and then if I miss the Grand Prix itself, I'll go, eh, well, you know. I just, uh, I'm going to keep backing it, just because it's it's going to rain, and I'm just going to be, I'm going to dream that they won't look at it like last year and go, oh, a bit of rain, we best delay the start, let's not do anything yet. I'm going to dream that they're actually going to be proactive, and they're going to have a standing start in the rain. It's going to be full of drama, changeable conditions. There's going to be some shocks. It's going to be some overtaking because it's more likely, we, we, we laugh, but it's more likely in the wet to overtake at Monaco because people can make mistakes and gaps can form and opportunities can be snatched up and taken. So maybe Monaco could be the underlying the under the hidden dark horse which turns the worst start ever into slightly less of a worst start ever quite possibly quite possibly last year Perez won that one <laughs> uh, second was Sainz and uh, Max Verstappen was third do we predict there's going to be a repeat of that order or something different is coming down the track Tristan well I think it's I think it's going to rain and I've seen the forecast that it's basically going to start raining <laughs> Um, on Wednesday slash Thursday and then just not stop for a week, which would be great because then uh, in Monaco, anything goes, really. If it does qualify 
Uh, if it's qualifying in wet, then any any driver could be up the front. The difference between this this pack this this year is pretty limited. Uh, okay, I guess you put a little asterisk um, next to the Red Bull, but if we uh, take that away for a moment, then it could be anyone. It really could be anyone. Alex Albon could absolutely plant that Williams on uh, the front row, which would be ridiculous. <laughs> uh, Al, yeah, I know, but uh, Albon could could do it. He looks to be really fast this week, um, this year. Or it could be a Mr. Lance Stroll, who's famously good in the wet, and in an Aston Martin, which seems to be really, really good. Don't forget that Alonso is very, very good in the wet as well. Of course, then there's the mighty Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez. But so if it's if it's wet on Saturday and wet on Sunday, then we m- may well get into a, a state where it's mm. attrition, and that's when Monaco really comes into its own. It it can be a race of attrition. I challenge any of you to jump onto the uh, the Formula One like games that you buy and go around Monaco without flashbacks. Mm. It's just impossible. Mm. Just don't bother. There's no point. <laughs> um, <laughs> try it once. You get like one lap in. You're like, well. I've hit the wall. Oh dear, that's the end of that one. Um, it is a ridiculous sort of race um, because of the attrition, and I feel like that's its redeeming feature. But I, I then uh, there's another question about whether or not that makes a good race. But if it's in the wet, then absolutely could literally could be anyone this year. I really do ha- think we're, we're we are in for a treat um, on Saturday if it is raining, and a little part of me thinks that Max is going to be on pole. But I like to think that in this particular, like, you know, in these certain circumstances, someone like Leclerc, it would be his chance and they'd push it that little bit further and take the glory. Because which there's 20 drivers on the track and if they all know that they can get onto the pole position, they can push it further than anyone else. Then, you know, it's who's who dares wins. <laughs> Yeah, I think Perez is going to have another storming weekend. Not too sure if he'll translate that into a win of itself, but he has such a record at straight circuits, Monaco being the king of those at the very least. Um, And I think aside from that, if we're looking further down the grid, those who need to impress, I'm looking at Williams as being one of those. They've had one of their... Typical sluggish starts to the season, really. Logan Sargent hasn't really sparked into life just yet. Alex Albon has shown potential quality in some aspects, but yet to convert that as well. I think if they're able to go and get themselves a good Saturday, a good qualification place where we know that track position is king, they could steal a march on someone like Alfa Romeo, uh, teams down there as well, like McLaren, for example, and get themselves back up from being the, dare I say, near permanent wooden spoon holders at this point. I'm going to say that I think that there have been lots of articles in recent days about Aston Martin and how they could be winning at Monaco because the Monaco track is the track that would be most likely able to expose Red Bull's weaknesses or temper down on their dominance Mm. and also help Aston Martin be able to be faster, basically to be able to stop their weaknesses from being shown. And... I fully agree and I still I still sit on my prediction that Alonso would win a race this year my bold mm. prediction from the start of the year which turned out to be not so bold when it turns out the bloke has the second fastest car on the grid but still I think that this weekend with a bit of rain and some wily old Fernando this is going to be the weekend he, I don't think he'll necessarily take pole I think that Leclerc with his home support 
you can call Monaco fans home support. His his home race, he will take pole position in a wet, dry qualifying session, and then in a torrential rain on Sunday, I think that his streak of luck in Monaco, which is poor, will continue, and he'll only finish second because he'll make a mistake or something, or he'll get a puncture. Uh, that's my prediction. And I think Alonso will sweep through to win with Leclerc second. And I'm going to say... I'm going to go with George Russell. No, not jo- I'm actually going to go quite conventional here. I'm going to go Max Verstappen to come third. I think Max Verstappen will maybe have a, a, a poor qualifying or race at some point, And he will have to fight back from perhaps the lower to mid-reaches of the top 10, but I still think he will show his class and take a place in the podium. I mean, this is basically a shot, right? The the whole season, I can't think of a, of a better opportunity than, than this. He just needs to try and uh, get, into, get into the lead. And I, I feel like this is... Well, I, I guess... It's, a, it's, an, it's us, again, putting unreasonable expectations on the track, though. Um... And it is a bit unfortunate as a side effect that if you know if you do rank yourself into the lead, you can basically just stay there because you can park your car in the middle and no one get past you. But never forget that uh, Ricardo versus Vettel. I want to say fight, but it wasn't really a fight. Let's say a traffic jam <laughs> in uh, Vettel and um, in um, Ricardo's last. I think it was his last season with Red Bull, and. It, Wait, he was like 80 to 100 horsepower down on Vettel in in first place, but Vettel just couldn't get past him in the Ferrari because there's nowhere to overtake. So, yeah, this is this is his one opportunity to, I think, his best opportunity of the, of the weekend. And if it ra- if it rains, then absolutely, this could be a, a glorious moment for them. And my eyes are on Williams further down the pack about who's got to impress or needs to impress. Do you concur with that? Are there other teams, drivers both that need to do that um i mean this is the most obvious one but mr de Vries, nicholas um if we are if he does actually have three races to save his f1 career which i still believe to be fanciful even if daniel ricardo's had a seat fitting <laughs> and is possibly being lined up to drive alpha towery again call me call me harsh but i don't believe it still even if that were to be possibi- a possibility, Mr. De Vries needs to step up. He needs to try and at least match the level of Yuki Tsunoda, who is actually starting to show a level of consistency this season, which has been mm-hmm. lacking from his, his driving in the two years he's been in F1. So De Vries needs to step it up. I'd also argue that... Uh, we've had this discussion... probably We must have had this discussion on a podcast recently, because there's only been like one race in the last two months. So we probably bash this bang this drum already but Kevin Magnussen and his performance relative to Hulkenberg we definitely discussed that yeah, at some yeah, point yeah. and we yeah which and I don't, in my head because we discussed it quite a while ago I want to say that it was like a few races ago it's probably literally one race ago but <laughs> he still does need to he needs to step it up he definitely stepped it up in Miami with that staunch defense of Charles Leclerc for so many laps and also take advantage of the chaos of Q3 but he needs to keep doing that in my opinion and he needs to keep chipping away at Hulkenberg and the advantage he has in the Drivers' Championship. And I think that the kind of circuit where this could happen would arguably be a street circuit where Hulkenberg, I mean, for sure, he's a seasoned professional. He's driven many years in F1. He's driven around Monaco. He must have 
raced the Monaco Grand Prix, what, eight or nine times possibly, depending on how many years he was uh, in his previous part of his F1 career. But I think it's the kind of circuit where a driver, either a new driver, a rookie, or someone who's been around Ray for a couple of years, would perhaps be most rusty, would be at a street circuit such as Monaco. So maybe this is K-Mag's chance to take some ground back. Um, so I think those ones, Mr. De Vries and Mr. Magnussen, st- uh, stick out particularly. I, I do think it's a little harsh on Magnussen. Granted, he is further down the pecking order in the driver's championship to his teammate, but he's beaten his teammate in all but one races and finishing the points twice. So I think, granted, there is a points difference, but if you're looking at genuine performance, I think there's others that need to do a bit more, in my view. Quality performance, though. Fair point about no, no, the, no, the, fi- the no finishing though. But yeah, but he's he's finished higher than him in all but one race. Yeah, Magnussen over Hulkenberg. Yeah, that's a fair point. Well, I have maybe I've, I mean I think maybe I'm just a cynical I'm a cynical person. And ever since Magnussen got pole in Brazil, he should be getting pole every race as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> that's a, no, I'm joking, of course. But yeah, I mean that's that's a fair point. But I think Mister Mister De Vries. Why do I keep calling him Mister De Vries? Nick De Vries, <laughs> especially light. Yeah, yeah, I'm so polite. Um, yeah, but he yeah he definitely needs to he needs to go faster. Mm. In summary, that's weird though that you're you're right because Kevin Magnussen got pole that one time. Now whenever it's raining, I'm like, mm? is this his moment for another one? Mm? Um, so I mean, it's just it was weird because it was kind of just luck i feel like that that was a one of those weird moments where because it started to rain they got their like lucky uh dry lap in so i feel like well we're gonna need to we're gonna need to wait for the monaco qualifying to be you know three minutes start three minutes before the rain so that they can do a a quick lap and then magazine get his uh speedy monaco qualifying in before the rain starts to come down um yeah, it is a. But you're right. The expectations now are higher for the Haas because they've they've proved that they can do it once. So you're like, well, do it every time now. Um, I mean, but if it's raining, it, this could be well their moment for an unexpected race win, as I imagine George Russell careers into Sergio Perez, who then bowls into Max Verstappen and takes all of them out, um, followed by the next six people in some sort of dramatic fashion, and then Kevin Magnussen sort of flies into the lead with Haas. An unexpected but positive result. Followed by, should we say, uh, Williams, uh, Alex Albon in second place, and then Fernando Alonso in third, taking yet another <laughs> third position of the season. <laughs> that would literally tick all our boxes there, exactly, exactly. Um, but before we wrap up, we can't really sign off this episode without talking about the Monaco-born driver of Charles Leclerc. It seems that silly season and the rumours that follow that are very much... Uh, about we can say with some uh, certainty though that contract talks between Ferrari and Leclerc are understood now to be open. The 25-year-old contract runs out next year, and there's speculation that Leclerc could go to Mercedes, Hamilton could go to Ferrari. That there's important guarantees that are now being given between both Leclerc and Ferrari as to why the contract talks now opening. What do we make about all this? The guarantees, the rumours, the speculation, the possibility of a, a driver trade or even a teaming up of the two. It would quite possibly be sensational. One of the most sensational transfer moves in history if Leclerc and Hamilton were to swap in the way that's being billed. 
Which is why, surely, in my view, it must be so unlikely. I think that whilst Leclerc has been making perhaps moves towards Mercedes and sort of putting himself in the shop window, and something which I don't think was jumped upon too much at the time, but he was asked about moving to Mercedes, and it must have, it must have been a lost, a, lo- a lost in translation moment. But he goes, "There's not been any talks yet." Now, either that's, either he's miscommunicated because English is his second language, or he genuinely was saying from his heart, "Well, I've, I haven't spoken to them, but I'm going to at some point." But that can't be plausible, right? That an F1 driver wouldn't declare that so obviously in public. And for it to be not seized upon as much by the media is surprising. Or at least not not that I've seen. And going the other way, so I can't see Hamilton going to... I've never been able to see Hamilton going to Ferrari. Like, I just can't... doesn't fit in my mind. And whilst one of F1's greatest drivers going to one of F1's greatest teams would be a match made in heaven, I've just never been able to see it. Hamilton in red, Ferrari red, I just... I don't know, something about it. Like I, I kind of... Sebastian Vettel in Ferrari red. Yeah, you see it. This feels right. But Hamilton, <coughs> to me, the guy's had a Mercedes engine in the back of his F1 car since 2007, his whole time in F1. So for me, that just fits. He's been, I think, the lo- he's the longest-serving driver at one team in F1's history. Now that he's been at Mercedes, this is, what, his 11th year, I want to say. So I, ca- I just don't see either of those moves be likely and then Ferrari as well the rumour mill saying that Ferrari want to pair up Hamilton with Leclerc in like a super team so poor old Carlos Sciences would be uh, dumped on the side but then there also opens the possibility of a swap deal but for there to be a swap there has to be two parties involved in that swap and would Mercedes be open to a swap deal If I think even though Hamilton is ageing and he's 38 we've seen what Alonso can do at a, at a veteran's age and how he can prolong his prime, and I'm sure Hamilton has the capabilities to do the same. I think that Hamilton is just so attached to Mercedes; as he's an ambassador for them. He's like part of their brand in Formula One, and he'll arguably move into a role with the brand after he's done in Formula One. So for him to ditch that that relationship and go to Ferrari again, it doesn't seem logical to me. And I just, yeah, I just, it doesn't, I, I can't see it. I can't see it. I think it's coming up in the news, maybe because, maybe because the journalists think that this is the worst start to an F1 season ever, so they're just throwing questions out there. And also, r- yeah, rumours that Hamilton's been offered £40 million a year to drive for Ferrari next year. Nah, surely not. I know strange things can happen at F1, and there was a famous saying from, I don't know who, but somebody in the paddock about how, contracts don't really mean anything because they all have these little clauses and these little loopholes and even if it says that a driver is there until 2025 could he leave at the end of 2023 yes if push comes to shove look at Daniel Ricciardo last year he was on a three-year contract but we're in the third year and he's no longer there at McLaren so I yeah I just can't I can't see it it's it would be in sort of a dreamland for some people for this to be a reality. Do you guys see it as a reality? I certainly yes, don't. I do. I do. Okay. I think, okay. I think he's been at Mercedes for a long time now. Mercedes have shown that they are able to make the same mistake twice. 
I think that Ferrari are now in a rebuilding era. Fred Vasseur has a relationship with Hamilton that predates his Formula One day, so there's the pre-existing relationship there. I think to box off the Leclerc issue for once, I think he'll be staying there. The question is, who does he partner up with? Um, Signs or Hamilton, seemingly. I don't think it's likely, but I think that the way that things are going with Hamilton wanting to get that final championship, feeling like he was robbed last time, and if we're realistic, knowing in his heart of hearts that it's not now or never, but time is running out for him, maybe he may go and make an impulsive decision and jump to Ferrari, really, which wouldn't be bulletproof, judging by how Ferrari haven't won seemingly anything in over a decade plus. But um, Hamilton does have a good instinct. He does have a good nose about where to go and when to leave. So I think where he goes, if he does indeed leave, will be a good indicator as to what team out of Ferrari and indeed Mercedes are going to be up there seemingly with Red Bull come next season and seasons to come. Imagine that. Ferrari roster of Charles Leclerc and Lewis Hamilton. Nice. That would be, mm. that would be something. That would be. I might. I might even buy merch if that was the case. Um, to actually tell you what, I almost. I'm very tempted by um, McLaren's merch this weekend. They have got a special livery um, for the Monaco Grand Prix. They're also running it in in Spain as well. Oh, that's why it's also the worst season start to the season ever. Because we're going from Monaco to Spain, and Barcelona is is <laughs> awful. <laughs> Boo! Um, they have changed the last corner though, so maybe that will improve the racing. You are right. I'm hoping. I'm looking forward to that because only Alonso has See. raced it in this current in the new, which is the old layout. Um, as a little bit of a tidbit for you there, but that yeah that that would be kind of crazy. Um, and yes. But, as I, as I sort of segued in there, and you're segueing it somewhere, but um, McLaren are running a, a, a special livery this weekend to pay homage, I think, to their uh, 1966 Monaco livery, which is black and white. And then it's pretty cool. I like it. A lot of a lot of um, fans seem not to not to like it, but I actually thought it was pretty cool. Um, I'm easily pleased, and their merch to go along with it is quite nice. But I just can't, you know, I just can't. I can't spend 55 pounds on a hoodie. It just it just doesn't sit well with me. It gives me a suggestion, but <laughs> as we return back, I guess fifty five quid's nothing compared to the forty million pounds that rumored to be paying Three. Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> I mean, I I I drive for for that or less, much less actually. I think how many hoodies uh, he could buy with that money? <laughs> well, he could buy nearly a million. Um, mm. <laughs> that would be yeah. That's that's a lot of hoodies. That would be that'd be enough hoodies. I think at that point. Um, the eight hundred odd thousand hoodies that he had. I think you you would you call it a day. Um, <laughs> I'm, while I'm while I'm talking, one of you can work out whether or not, like how how often how often in an average lifespan would you have to change your hoodie? If you had <laughs> let's say let's say just round it to eight hundred thousand. Let's say Hamilton is going to live for another forty years. Um, oh, can, one of you can this? quickly work out how. Uh, <laughs> How to? Yeah. How, how often he'd have to change his hoodie before he ran out? Anyway, well, we are really we're stretching we're stretching this week, aren't we? With the race has been cancelled. <laughs> if, if you need some help, there's three thousand six hundred <laughs> seconds in a in an hour 
There you go. So you can ties up I by twenty four. I can hear people switching off. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> this is the sort of thing I do when the Monaco Grand Prix is happening, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> something to keep my interest. Um, but I t- the thing is, he's never going to go to Ferrari. They're not going to do a trade. This isn't Pokemon. You can't just trade with your mates. And and I feel like in in any circumstance, Lewis Hamilton is going to retire out of the sport and and leave rather than go to another team charles leclerc on the other hand going to mercedes i think is is actually really interesting because he seems to be quite dejected and i feel like for ferrari any way they they deliver him a contract they kind of lose okay because if they give him a one year's extension that looks weak yep and then i feel like if they give him a, a one plus one then that also looks weak. And I don't think Leclerc's going to sign a multi-year contract. And that makes them look weak. So I think Ferrari are going to come out of this looking pretty weak. I just don't... Unless they can wrangle Leclerc to sign another four, five-year contract. Maybe a three-year contract. But I, I And I just can't see that happening. I can't see that happening with, with Leclerc. I feel like he knows that his best shot is with someone else. So, I don't know where he's going to move to, but I, f- I feel like the most logical thing in my mind is L- is Lewis Hamilton departs from the sport and Charles Leclerc segues his, well, his way in in a couple of years' time. But then, you know what? These are contract times. Th- this is always speculation. Toto Wolff says that it's always difficult talking... Uh, well, he did say this week that it was difficult talking about money with his friend. And... That signals to me that they are going to present Hamilton a, a you know a reasonable contract. It may not be as much money as it used to be, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if if we got three years another three year contract out of out of uh, Mercedes for Hamilton, um, even if he's just mentoring George a bit. But I, they've got nothing to lose with Hamilton. He's a he's a known quantity, right? He's incredibly reliable, a proficient driver still top of his game don't don't rule him out and in fact i think that the the that's been really well proved as well with alonso actually don't don't rule him out there's no what's the point going with a a new and upcoming driver when you have a known quantity and sometimes in formula one consistency is key that's one of the things that made people like nicky louder absolutely brilliant was just consistency over over the the whole season as a whole. My only other thing to add would be that that Hamilton, and I'm not saying he's incapable of this, but drivers often to move to Ferrari have found it useful to already speak Italian. Otherwise, it's the kind of team where Italian is the main language, which is obvious. It's an Italian team, but it's not one where as many folks speak English. So to have... Mm. And I'm not saying Lewis Hamilton's incapable of learning Italian, of course he is, but to have that pre- prior knowledge of Italian definitely helps. So I'd say that that's something else that counts against him. By the way, I just worked out that um, if Lewis Hamilton bought 800,000 hoodies, he'd need to change them every uh, 28 minutes. Well, oh, I'm glad we cleared that one up. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> ah. Now, what if I were to tell you that there's a video of Lewis Hamilton speaking Italian? 
Oh no, I shouldn't have opened my mouth. Mm. I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> I don't know if it's more than just chow. Italian to be a, a Ferrari. <laughs> and you can't just speak English with an Italian accent because um, that'd be <laughs> grotesquely British, wouldn't it? Although, <laughs> in this emotional roller coaster, Bernie Eccleston has come out and said Lewis Hamilton doesn't speak Italian. Who are we to believe? <laughs> <laughs> oh my word. A 94 year old prolific liar. Or video evidence. <laughs> I feel Which like they would win? make an exception um, for Lewis Hamilton if he went over there. He would, they would, they would allow him. They give him a dictionary, and then he could really slowly, um, you know, break it out the end of the tra- end of the lap um, when he's really pleased and he's won the race. He'll like break out the dictionary, be like Grazia, Grazia, Monta Bene. But yeah, I imagine if they're going to spend £40 million on his contract, as is the rumours say, then they'd probably be happy to go and help him out either learning Italian or accommodating English or other languages he has. But, I mean, I'm talking about this. This is all speculation hypothetical. There may not even be a contract. Yeah, exactly. So, well, come on. But yes, it's um, remarkable the rumour mill is already spinning five races in, but we'll see what comes. And on that note, that seems that's all we've got time for in terms of episode 14 of F1 in Review 2023. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this one, be that on your preferred podcast provider or indeed elsewhere. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter and TikTok, our handle being F1 in Review, all one word, of course. Now, fingers crossed, Touchwood, etc., etc., there will be racing this weekend in Monaco. Qualifying, also known as the race, will start on Saturday at 3 pm British Summer Time. And then the official race, as it's being called by me, will be on Sunday, that being 2 pm, uh, that being British Summer Time as well, if you're watching, listening, or indeed, indeed keeping up to date with what's going on. There's rain scheduled for Saturday and Sunday, so here's hopeful there will be some racing, some action for us to talk about next week. Until next time, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week.